Life Audio. Hey, friend, Heather Creekmore here. What can you expect from today's episode? Whoa, (laughs) I can't even count all the things. Because, y'all, I just watched the Gwen Shamblin movie, Starving for Salvation. And I have so many thoughts, so many, so many thoughts about how diet language and our views about food and how dieting is connected to holiness, like how all this stuff maybe started to rise up in our churches. And oh boy, it's it's just a lot. So today, you're going to listen to some clips from the movie that I'm using under the fair use law because they're just for criticism and educational purposes. But y'all are going to be amazed. May have done the way down. There's a good chance you did. It was in like 15,000 churches and the book has sold almost 2 million copies. So you're familiar with it. Chances are. And even if you didn't know you were familiar with it, you may have heard some of its concepts that kind of got watered down or filtered or just kind of channeled through other Christians you know, maybe even inside your church. Maybe your church is running the program. Oh, but this story, friends. Ooh. Today we're going to break it all down and really try to give it a fair and biblical assessment. Oh, friend, how's your body image? Have you read my 40-day body image workbook? Are you going through the workbook with the group of about 100 women we have going through it every week? If that sounds like something you'd want to join, it's really not too late. We've got like five sessions left. Go ahead and join us. Go to improvebodyimage.com. Join the 40-day reading challenge. You can come to our meetings Tuesday night or Thursday morning. Well, it's Thursday afternoon, really. (laughs) Lunchtime, 1230. But there is no reason why you should have to journey alone. So come and join us. Let's get to today's show. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. So I want to start by telling you a story. And it's a story that was in the 40-Day Body Image Workbook originally, but... I wrote a lot of words and some of them had to get cut. (laughs) So there's actually a story at the beginning of chapter 15 where I talk about my night with a con artist. And that didn't make the book, but I am going to talk about that when we cover this section in our reading challenge. So those of you in the reading challenge, you get the exclusive on that. But in day 16, I was telling this story and it got cut. But I told this story of being a, I'd say 21-year-old living and working in Washington, D.C. And I was with a friend and these guys did this skit on the Metro about how great their church was. And these guys were cute (laughs) and I was single. And so my friend and I were very interested. I mean, we're in Washington, D.C. and there's guys 
acting about how good their church is. Like they had to be Christians, right? And so these guys noticed us and they were like, hey, would you guys like to come to our church? And we were like, sure, love to come to your church. And so the next Sunday... We did. We took the metro as far as we could. They picked us up at the metro station and they took us to their church. And that's when things started to get weird. So we sang songs and the songs sounded like the same tunes of the songs that I was used to singing in church. So I didn't even really notice at first that the words were a little different. Instead of, I'm so glad Jesus set me free, it was, I'm so glad I go to DC Church of Christ. It felt like a church. We were in an elementary school. The people acted like church people. They dressed like church people. It seemed churchy. And then the pastor came up. And before he started speaking, he said that people were going to hand out something. And he told us not to look at it because he would explain it during what I assumed was his sermon. And so he starts speaking, and people, of course, start looking at the thing that they're being handed, and he immediately, like, his presence almost altered, (laughs) and he, like, went, like, disciplinarian, like, how dare you? I told you not to look at it. I instructed you specifically not to read it. I told you I would read it to you. You know, how dare you not obey? And that freaked me out a little bit, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. My friend and I are making eye contact, like thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? And the sermon wasn't really a sermon. It was really just a talk on evangelism, which again, evangelism, it sounds like, you know, God and Jesus stuff, right? But their kind of evangelism was different. Their evangelism was getting people to come to the church for the sake of coming to the church. And the worship there, like I said, was different because it wasn't worship of God and Jesus. It was worship of the church. And potentially, I mean, I didn't stay there long enough to find out, potentially maybe the church leaders, which is why such a controlling figure was the one doing the speaking. And so my friend Leanne and I kind of, we kind of panicked a little bit. We looked at each other. And I don't, I must have blocked it out like trauma because I think what we did was we snuck out and we got on a city bus to get back to the metro because we didn't want to get back in the car with these guys. We were afraid we'd never let us go. We didn't really know what was going to happen. But all that to say, that was my first time to visit a cult. It was very eye-opening. And as I was writing my book, examining diet culture, which honestly, that's not a term I was familiar with. Even like seven or eight years ago, that's not a term I would have ever used with you. So if it's new to you, don't feel bad. I mean, I think it's rising in popularity. I use it on this show some. But diet culture is really just this world, this culture we live in where we're heavily influenced by images, thoughts, um, programs that tell us how to attain a certain look or certain health status. Right? Christy Harrison, who is the author of a book called Anti-Diet, described it as like a system that worships thinness. And when I read Christy's definition, I thought that was kind of interesting too, because again, back to that word, worship. Cults are places where worship happens. Again, not worship of God or Jesus, but worship of someone or something. And diet culture 
is the system of worship of a thin body. And then I discovered the Gwen Shamblin documentary. Oh boy. It was on HBO Max a few years ago. They released like five episodes at first and then came back maybe a year or six months later and released two more. So I watched it initially and didn't even know that those extra episodes came out, but those extra episodes are worth it. If you didn't see those, go back and see those too. It's very disturbing and very eye-opening. And then I noticed just last year in 2023 that Lifetime did a movie about her life. Now, I will put this out there clearly and plainly. We don't know how much of it is true. But as I kind of fact check it, if you will, against what I saw in the documentary, I can see maybe how the writers were inspired to write it the way they were. And it feels like it's based in some truth, even though, to be fair, her daughter, who now leads the church that she started, the Remnant Fellowship, her daughter says that it's absolutely not true and, you know, that it should just be dismissed. But a lot of the storyline in the movie kind of matched up with the interviews and the plot lines of the documentary, the storylines they were following there. But it's all disturbing. And I want to dig into it today. So we're actually going to listen to some of the parts of the movie and just kind of dissect it one by one and kind of track like what really happened here. So I'm going to start by playing the trailer for you. Satan does not give up. This demon isn't food, it's sin. A Lifetime original movie ripped from the headlines. I've always had what I would call a crush on God. I love the scale and the scale loves me. Your stomach doesn't need food, it needs God. What is your title in the church? They call me Gwen. Y'all here to maybe lose some weight? What is going on with you? We'll follow you wherever you lead us. I give you the prophetess! The remnant nation requires sacrifice. The higher the hair, closer to God. Squint Champlin, starving for salvation. So the trailer gives you just a taste of all the different places we could go that are covered in this movie. And we're not going to hit all of them today, but we are going to hit several right after this quick break. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. 
I want to kind of give you a big picture first, okay? So if you don't know anything about the story, Gwen Shamblin started the Way Down Workshop. And we're going to dig into the way that part of the story is portrayed in the movie in just a second. But she started this workshop. It grew. She actually couldn't get a Christian book deal, but she got a book deal with a big secular publisher, sold like one... uh, well, to date, she sold well over uh, 1.7 million copies. The Weight Down Weight Loss Plan does still exist. I think you can still join it. I think you can still sign up, have your church do it as a program that it offers. And so that continued, but that's not where it stayed. And so what the movie documents is kind of Gwen's own transformation from helping women lose weight in a way that she felt was divinely inspired by God to then really starting a cult, (laughs) starting this church and requiring loyalty that meant you can only go to her church and requiring certain things of prisoners, really a high control environment. Um, And things just got weird. And in fact, more than weird, things got sad because her methods of discipline and some of her beliefs around, really her beliefs around a lot of things were pretty messed up as we'll dig into today, but her beliefs around how you discipline children were especially messed up. And they ended up leading to the death of one of the little boys in the congregation whose parents are serving a life sentence plus 30 years now um, because their little boy died when they locked him in a trunk. Um, It's, it's very disturbing. It's messed up. And it's fascinating to me that the gateway was weight loss. Now, I am not saying that every diet program is a cult and every diet program leads to a cult. Like, I'm not saying anything like that. But I do think it's fascinating how susceptible we are, like, especially as women, to these messages around weight loss and diet and how they connect to messages of the Bible, like self-control, like holiness, like righteousness. Those concepts, as I talk about in the book, have been conflated, right? Like Gwen, I read an article on it, and it just kind of went right out and said that, you know, Gwen viewed thinness as holiness. And so she wanted her church to look holy. And so therefore, parishioners should look thin. And that was the symbol of holiness. And, you know, part of that is a little bit of a like ancient, like ascetic um, kind of principle, right? But this was the modern day version of that. Holiness equals thinness. Righteousness comes from how you interact with food in you know, this Gwen ordained way. But anyway, the story's kind of messed up. (laughs) But let's let's start at the beginning and I'll take you through it. So this first clip is the very beginning of the movie. And Gwen, who I'm going to describe for you as a petite woman who probably is wearing a size two or a size four. She's a small woman. But the first scene is her on the scale. And you'll hear what happens next. I'm a pig. I just got off the scale. Oh no, is it crushed beyond repair? I'm four pounds heavier than I was this summer. I'm always up and down. I can never get my weight where I want it and keep it there. When you barely cast a shadow, four pounds isn't gonna kill you. This isn't just about me. I teach nutrition for goodness sakes. 
and I can't lose four extra pounds and I'm supposed to be helping other people lose hundreds? And you do. How do I get rid of emptiness? Emptiness? My client, you know, she's eating. I don't have her on any kind of broth and breadcrumb diet. But still, she says she feels this emptiness. Isn't that just hunger? Maybe, but the word she used was emptiness, not hunger. I don't know why that word's been stuck in my head ever since she said it. And it's been bugging me because she says this emptiness just pulls her to the refrigerator. When she knows she doesn't want to eat, she doesn't want food. She wants to drop the extra pounds. Maybe. Just means she's hungry. Hmm? <laughs> hungry for what? So I don't know if you could hear that last part, but she asked the question, hungry for what? Now, it's it's important to understand that Gwen Shamblin was a registered dietitian. She had her master's of science in food nutrition and she was an RD. So she legitimately was employed um, helping people figure out their food and diet issues. And this was in 1986. We're talking about the 1980s when aerobic exercise was on the rise and many of the diet programs that are still around today had just kind of been born or were kind of rising in popularity, right? So so diet culture is on the rise. She has a culturally an audience that's primed for a weight loss message. We have turned our focus as a nation to weight loss and in comes Gwen. Now, I pointed out to you Gwen's size because I wanted you to hear her lament over her four pounds. And I wanted you to understand that there's a very good chance that this woman had an eating disorder. I mean, as you watch her life progress, it's pretty certain. I mean, I am not qualified to diagnose her, but it's pretty obvious that at a minimum, she had a body dysmorphic disorder because she thought those four pounds were a really big deal. So notice there's no, I guess, grace, you would say, for a woman who, I don't know, she was probably in her 40s at the time, a woman whose weight was likely fluctuating because guess what? All of us women, our weight fluctuates because of our cycles, but also when we get in our 40s, our weight starts to fluctuate. So there's no grace or acknowledgement of anything like that. It was just Gwen versus the four pounds. And her husband deals with her very graciously, really like throughout the movie. I'm kind of impressed with his character, although also kind of curious as to why he didn't like step up or step in sooner. That's an aside. But what happens next is Gwen goes to like the church buffet and potluck, whatever, and she only gets like some lettuce, like like just stocks up on lettuce. It seems like it's supposed to be like that evening or the next day. And she's hungry. She's like eyeing the the other food on people's plates. Like this is pretty clear disordered eating, eating disorder behavior, right? She she wants food. You can tell she's hungry, but she's choosing only to eat lettuce probably because these four pounds. And so what we see in the next scene is in the middle of the night, she's hungry. She's awake and she's in the refrigerator. She can't find anything. And then later you see her with a piece of cake and she eats a couple bites of the cake and then she stops and she's like, what am I doing? And she decides to pray. Here's what Please happens. Please help me understand what I'm missing is this emptiness. How do I feel it? Please, God. 
give me your divine guidance. second half of my sandwich and I realized I'm not hungry. So David, I prayed again and the emptiness was gone. Then what was the emptiness? Spiritual. It's a spiritual emptiness that can only be filled by God. You get it? Not entirely. Okay, my client, Melanie, she says she can't stop eating because she feels like she's always starving. And she is starving. Just not for food. David, all I had to do was pray to God and ask him to fill that empty space that I want to fill with food, and he did it. You sure those four pounds who's boss, sweetheart? So she prayed and filled the emptiness and then no longer needed food. Oh, Okay, so let me be clear about a couple of things, right? We do all have a spiritual emptiness, right? We need that to be filled with God. But our need and desire for food is completely physical <laughs> and physiological. Like we were made that way. We were made to need food. And so whenever this false dichotomy is set up between like food and God, and we only need one, not the other, like that's just not true. And I feel like whether it's acknowledged or not, this concept, this false dichotomy has made its way into Christian literature, like even recently, right? Where it's like you were made to crave God, not food. But that's not true. <laughs> you were made to crave God spiritually and really, you know, if every part of your being, but you were also made to crave food. Like you need food to live. God designed your body to run on food. And so while conceptually, of course, I think it's great to pray before you eat, right? That makes sense. But I have to question what the motivation is behind the prayer. Are you praying, God, like help me make good choices for my body so that I can serve you well? Or was the motivation behind these prayers offered by Gwen and, you know, the future into the way, way down weight loss workshops? Is the motivation for those prayers like, God, help me to not eat because that will make me holier. That will prove that I am more righteous or maybe more practically because that will make me thinner and that will make me look better. And that will make me more acceptable to others. That will make me more acceptable to myself. Maybe even the belief that will make me more acceptable to you, God, if I'm thinner. But my question is the motivation. Like, so I know there's someone listening today that may really struggle with eating too much food. You know that you just eat way beyond what you need. And so is there something here for you? Maybe, okay, maybe, yes, absolutely include God in that. But I think what Gwen's doing here is kind of what we talked about in the live podcast we did with Amy Carlson back in January. It's using God's name in vain. It's asking God or pretending God has blessed me because I asked him to help me stop eating and I did stop eating, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it's really using God to sanction your eating disorder, 
right? And God doesn't sanction eating disorders. God doesn't sanction weight loss plans, right? It's using God's name in vain. So let's, let's listen a little bit more. Mr. White? Yes. Yeah? Well, I've come up with a method that'll help you lose weight and bring you closer to God at the same time. It's very simple. Even when we're not hungry, sometimes we want to eat. But that emptiness isn't your stomach. It's your heart. And your heart doesn't need food. It needs God. So this was the first workshop that she did as portrayed in the movie where she's kind of teaching the fundamentals of the way down, that you pray first and then you won't eat, that your heart doesn't need food, your heart needs God. And, and that's true. The challenge is she's turning the concept of praying before you eat, asking God to help you not eat kind of into fasting, right? Because the purpose of fasting is to draw closer to God, right? You choose to set aside eating for a certain time and all kinds of caveats here. If you're eating disorder, disordered eating, recover, recovering, recovered, like I don't recommend fasting. I've done episodes on that before. So just caveats there aside, right? But the biblical concept of fasting is to set aside food so that you can seek God's face, right? So you can seek his heart. Sometimes we're petitioning him for something in that, but, but really the true purpose of fasting is, you know, God, what do you have for me? What do you want for me? Help. Is that what we are doing in Gwen's program? I don't feel like it is. I feel like it's, God, here's what I want for me. Here's what I want you to do for me. Help me not eat this thing. And that's not really to draw closer to God. That's really to meet my own goal. It's like, here's what I want. And God, because I've prayed, you've rubber stamped this program. Oh, it's kind of yucky. Let's go further. God does not favor me over you. Let me tell you something. There is not one person in this room who could not tackle this demon. And this demon isn't food. It's sin. When we overindulge ourselves, we are falling short of the glory of God. And that is what sin is. And we can only overcome sin with God's help. Because with God on our side, we cannot lose. Well, we can lose. Wait, that is. <laughs> but y'all know what I mean. Okay. Again, remember how I said cults sound like the real thing? It seems like what she's saying is true and biblical, and yet it's just a shade off. So while I do appreciate her saying that food is not the demon, right? Actually, she was kind of on point with that. The challenge is that the sin she's referring to is the sin of gluttony. And her definition of gluttony is very interesting. Even though we don't actually get a formal definition of gluttony, it's pretty easy to tell contextually that gluttony is anyone who has a body size that is bigger than Gwen thinks it should be. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not like, they're not using the BMI chart in the movie, which, you know, is bogus anyway, but there's not like a real standard. There's this fuzzy glorification of eating less is always 
best, and a smaller body is always best. So yes, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, absolutely. But the only way I can defeat sin is through Jesus, right? He is my only chance at defeating sin because he defeated sin through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so I don't really have a workaround on that. Like I cannot be good enough with my food choices or life choices to defeat sin. And so whenever a message is preached where I can defeat sin by simply praying that I would not do whatever the considered sin is, and I'm ignoring the Jesus part, I'm ignoring his grace, I'm ignoring his sacrifice, that's a problem, even though technically I'm praying. And this is what gets fuzzy, right? Because as the movie continues, we see Gwen pray a lot. And I would say it's really important to understand that, oh, demons can be loud, right? These demons sometimes even pretend they tell us that their name is Jesus. Now, in Gwen's case, she seems to be talking to God. She says she's talking to God. God told her told her to do these various things that you'll see through the movie, and we'll explore just a little bit of. And you know that's not God telling her to do them. So she is talking to someone who is not God. She is praying and not getting answers from God. And I think it's important that just because someone says God told them this or God showed them this, it's important to understand that that might not have been God. And this next clip will show you how I know for sure that I wasn't God. People are getting the wrong message here. In church, this is why some people fail at the way down. When you're told that your sins are washed away for nothing, well then, why not keep sinning? Why not be gluttons? It's no wonder that some of our people are gaining their way back. They hear our message on Wednesday night. They come here and hear this message on Sunday. Well, they figure, why not just keep refilling at the Sunday buffet? Jesus paid for it. <laughs> oh, Gwen. I mean, come on. You're, I mean, you're not saying that people should be rejecting Jesus. No, of course not. Just sometimes maybe they need to go over his head. You know? Oh, I just can't have these preachers messing up my program. The church and these pastors are messing up her program. Yikes. What is happening to Gwen? That's all the time we have for today, but I've got another full episode of clips and analysis for you coming next time because this story just gets more twisted and more twisted. But my ending thought for you today as you kind of begin to process what's happening here is I want you to start thinking about the messages that you've heard in church and consider the reality that some of them may have been influenced by this woman, not the Bible, but by her teaching. And as you'll see next time, it gets more heretical and more heretical as she ages. But friend, let me encourage you, this is not the teaching of Jesus. Jesus didn't teach that righteousness is following a diet plan. Neither did Jesus teach to pray to be skinnier, pray to not eat, right? He prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Different kind of prayer there, wouldn't you say? Oh, friend, 
This is good stuff. It's hard stuff. It's kind of yicky stuff. But go check out the movie if you want to. Starving for Salvation is what it's called. And I'll be back with you next time for more clips and analysis. Thanks for listening today. I hope something has helped you stop comparing and start living. The Compare Do Show is proud to be part of the Life Audio Podcast Network. For more great Christian content, go to lifeaudio.com. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.